welcome to another episode of Stanford Cinema. As always, I'm your host. My name is Andrew. Thank you very much for downloading this latest episode. Today, we are going to be taking a little trip back in time to the 1970s. We are going to be covering a myriad of different films that came out in the 1970s. And of course, if you were a listener of the show last season, you will recall a conversation that that author, poet, Bill Cushing and I had that it might be fun to revisit some films from the 1970s. And that's what we're doing. So he has a whole list of movies that are on his mind that that were films that he that he was a big fan of. I've got a list of some movies. I think I have a list of 10 films that I want to discuss. But this is going to be a little bit different. We are just going to be kind of like hodgepodging all over the place. Just conversations of movies that we enjoyed from the 1970s. And also a major, major shout out to, to Bill because Bill actually gifted me a uh, collected uh, book of poems, which is just a little cage of bone. And like I tell you, I've completed it and there's some damn good poems in here. So I guess without further ado, let's just get Bill onto the show. Let's have some fun and let's take a little trip down memory lane in the 1970s to one of the great, great eras of, of cinema. Again, Bill, hello. Long time no see. I guess it's been about a year. How are you? Yeah, well, fine. Great. Humming along. Uh, busy, busy. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, busy, but, busy is better than the alternative yeah, as opposed yeah, to just not yeah. doing anything. I know you've been very busy. you got a lot of things going on coming up, which is super exciting. Can't wait to talk about that. But how, how are you spending how are you spending your days these uh, um, in well, 2023? Been, you know, um, geez. Haven't been doing a whole lot. We're sort of gearing up for our vacation. We take an annual trek down to San Diego in August, so gearing up for that. Haven't been out sailing lately, which I really need to do, but uh, stuff keeps getting in the way. But, uh, yeah. It's funny because uh, I think that was our, one of our first conversations is you gave yeah. me a little passage from something you wrote back from, like, your your Navy days. Uh, yeah, and that, okay, yeah. that, was a, that was a fun that was a fun read. And I know we're going to talk about you know, something that you got publishing here real soon. But I'm really, really pumped about this conversation because this is something that we we kind of teased last year and we corresponded a little bit basically about a an all things 70s. And I love it because, um, you know, and well, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to take away from your uh, your 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 speaking points, but the 70s was such a pivotal decade in in the whole like cinematic like universe just simply for the fact that at this point the film codes were non-existent we now had a little bit more of a reading system that was going on and we were starting to see kind of like cinematic like uh director like auteurs kind of get a little bit more uh independence to create their own vision of course that kind of, that also comes with a little bit of a sacrifice uh that we will see in the 80s but at this point the 70s all things are great, right? Well, yeah, and and I almost equate it with you know the I guess it's the forties is considered the the decade of the studios and you know some of the work that came out there, and I think the seventies can hold their own against any period of of film, uh, you know, in, in a different way, of course, but uh, but yeah, no, they, they, no, I'm with you. I think. You, you mentioned the 40s and the studios, and there were some really great films that came out in the 40s because just for a little timeline for a lot of the listeners that, and please buy, you know, 
at any time, Bill, if you want to like correct something, if I'm saying something inaccurate, but you know, you, you take an industry that really kind of started to develop in the teens and the twenties. Right. And there was, there's kind of like no rules. No. And we had this thing called like the, the Hayes code that kind of happened in like the really kind of like the early thirties. It's like, no, 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 no. You guys are having a little bit too much uh, fun on camera. We need to hone this back. We need well, yeah, to- and that was where they said you have to have a moral lesson at the end. But, you know, the the bad guys can't get away with everything. They've, they've got to get their comeuppance. And, which exactly. Is why yeah, bad. bad guys have to have their comeuppance. We can't yeah. have... We can't have a lot of drinking. We can't have a yeah. lot of sex. We're gonna we're going to separate yeah. men and women in bedrooms, which we would see on television. Um, but you you had the I believe in the let's see the the nineteen what was it nineteen thirties the Hayes office adopts a moral code a code to maintain social and community values. Which uh, is interesting I, because when you look at that too you. Two of the movies that come out of that period that I thought were great was Public Enemy and um, and uh, Little Caesar. Yeah, which I don't absolutely. Think, I don't think you could have any of the mobster movies without those two. <laughs> no, there, there, you know, the there were, and that, that's just it. There were some really good film, and obviously the the whole era of film noir comes out as a result oh, yeah. of that. They had to be very creative. You, you know, you were introduced to the femme fatale that were doing things. Uh, very hazy, but you didn't see it was a little bit like tell, but not show no, there, yeah. there, you know, there were, um, but you also had some really great filmmakers that would come out as a result of that. And then in the forties, you would have filmmakers like Alfred Hitchcock that would get his start uh, over in the UK and would transition over into the U S in the 1950s toward the tail end, toward the tail end of this, this code, we were starting to see people like, oh my God, I completely forgot the name of Citizen. Oh, Billy Wilder and and uh, who were some of the others that came out of that period. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of, you know, Preminger. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there was a myriad of filmmakers that were doing that, but I mean, it was still very prevalent that was going on. And then what happened was in 1952, the Supreme Court essentially ruled that Films are protected under the First Amendment. So you had a little bit of flexibility. You'd have some filmmakers that would challenge it a little bit. Orson Welles, uh, mm. Alfred Hitchcock, a little bit. Yeah. But it wasn't really until the 1960s, and really more like the late 1960s, because the early 60s, it was still pretty safe. And that's when like the, the French New Wave kind of took place, mm-hmm. where they were doing very interesting things over in France. Yeah, and, and, Toward the latter half, we would be introduced to like Cool Hand Luke over here, even though like uh, I think Psycho came out the early 60s. But there was still just kind of like the state of flux. But when when the French New Wave took uh, kind of like took place and then the 19 like late 1960s over in the U.S., um, a new dawn had been like created, which would segue segue us over into the 1970s where it became the decade of real independence because of the fact that you know restrictions on language adult content Mm -hmm. uh violence all those were very much loosened up and it was no longer controlled by a governing body or the studios now 
the 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 artists themselves would have this creative power. And I think one of the things about the 70s that I really like is sort of in the 40s, you were selling either studios or actors. In the 70s, it was the storytelling that really took center stage. The writing really became the big thing. I mean, you look at the stuff that Kubrick did and, you know, uh, Barry Lyndon and those types of things like that. Yeah, you had Barry Lyndon in the mid-70s. I mean, late 60s, what was it? Uh, 2001, he did that. 2001, but... and, and uh, yeah. But, yeah, good writing became a, a really big thing. And I think that's one of the things that, that helped make the decade what it was, which is something I, I plan to get to when I when I get going. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, you know, this like the executioner song. I have a little list. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess you know what um, we've kind of painted a little bit of picture, you know. But I guess let's let's officially start this. So, okay. All right. All we're right. going to talk 70s. So, yeah. Bill, let's let's get into it. This is hardly a complete list by any stretch, which is stuff I came up with right off the top of my head. And I, I divided it sort of into segments, uh, like an action or, or what I consider to be action. You have Rocky, Capricorn One, Clute, Dirty Harry, Shaft, uh, two that I love to mention, Death Wish and Telephon, which were the Charles Bronson movies, which if you look... Death Wish then became enough with Jodie Foster, and Telephone basically became Salt with uh, what's her name? Uh, oh, who's the actress with Brad Pitt now? I can't remember. Uh, but if you look at Salt, that's really a ripoff of Telephone. Yep. Uh, Midnight Express, Superman, Star Wars, Mad Max, Vanishing Point, which if nobody's ever seen that, I really suggest that. Uh, I don't Jaws. Know, I don't know if we spoke about. I spoke about Van- Vanishing Point with somebody. Oh yeah, on this yeah. podcast. I wasn't sure if it was you or somebody no, else. No, we did. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, Vanishing Point is one of those movies that really impressed me. Uh, Jaws, Warriors, and of my favorite of the action movies, the one I left last was Taken a Pelham One Two Three. Yeah, which very very low budget John Carpenter film. And not just that, but it also uh, the it, taking of Pelham influenced both Reservoir Dogs and Inside Man. Mm-hmm. You see elements, so it, it influenced. It was a very gritty, dirty, uh, of course, completely politically incorrect. Uh, in fact, when what was it? Ridley Scott redid it. I was like, well, what's the point? There's no way it's going to be as daring as the original, and it wasn't. And in fact, if you've seen the new one, which I did finally see. It was mostly whiz bang action, whereas the original was the tension of how are they going to get away with it? And you know that question was always in the air of you know what's the end game here, and and that's what made it so good. Uh, so in the action, those are the ones I listed. Uh, if you look at war movies, Apocalypse Now, Deer Hunter, Patton, I guess you could argue was more a biopic than a war movie, but there it is. Tora Tora Tora, which I'm always recommending to people. Uh, and then you got Kelly's Heroes, Dirty Dozen, MASH, movies like that. Uh, so even though here again, Kelly's Heroes and, and uh, MASH are more comedies, but they're still war movies. Now, talking about comedy, um, Allegro Non Tropo, which I don't know if you're familiar with that at all, but it's an Italian movie that's 
basically a satire on Fantasia, uh, which is really wonderful. Um, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And of course, my favorite of the Monty Pythons, Life of Brian. Life of Brian, yeah. So both of those came out in that decade. But you had Annie Hall being there, Harold and Maud, Animal House, Smokey and the Bandit, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, which, by the way, I always say propped up many independent theaters for the whole decade on you know Saturday night midnight showings. Mm-hmm. They could pay their power bills on that. Uh, Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein. The Jerk, The Sting, Up in Smoke, Uptown Saturday Night, Slapshot. And one of my favorites is Where's Papa, which that was Ruth Gordon and George Siegel. Okay. And it was uh, it was absolutely risque. In fact, it, it is on record as the first time a particular term was heard and i won't say it here okay okay noted watch the movie noted. and you'll catch it there's no way <laughs> but that's funny uh, yeah where's papa was just this theater of absurd uh movie where george siegel promises his father on his father's deathbed that he'll never put his mother in, in a home and ruth gordon plays the mother and she's driving him nuts <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> she's making him absolutely crazy to the point he is thinking of, well, I can't put her in the home. Maybe I'll kill her. That (laughs) is awesome. Uh, In Westerns, of course, you had Clint Eastwood's volume of work. And my favorite of the seventies of his stuff was high plains drifter. Mm -hmm. I I absolutely love that. But you had going South. uh, My name is nobody. And then they call me Trinity, which each one, you know, one came out of the other. Support your local sheriff with uh, James Garner, uh, the Cowboys, which is one of my favorite uh, of the Wayne movies. But then you had stuff like McCabe and Mrs. Miller, uh, which you know, very dark western. Soldier Blue, which I don't know if you're familiar with that I don't one. Know that one. But I've always said this is what Dances with Wolves hope to be. Okay, and didn't quite make Soldier Blue is one of the great. West, I guess I would consider it a Western, uh, really dynamite. And like I say, it's what Dances with Wolves tried to get across. I thought Soldier Blue did much better. Uh, you have the Long Riders came out. Mm-hmm. But my favorite of the uh, James Younger movies was the Great Northfield, Minnesota Raid, which had uh, Robert Duvall as Jesse James and uh, Cliff Robertson is Cole Younger, uh, and it's all about their last attempt. And it really is where the Long Riders was fun and expansive and all that stuff. This was much more historical, right? Uh, you know, and, and I don't know if you've seen that one or not. I haven't seen that one. I yeah, haven't seen that one. It's called the Great Northfield Minnesota Raid, and it's about the last robbery they tried to stage. Uh, but it shows the dynamics of the band, of the, of the uh, gang, uh, and of course, Robert Duvall as Jesse James is like this evangelical, uh, <laughs> you know, whereas Cole Younger sort of plans everything. Jesse James delivers the message. 
Uh, so Bill, I gotta those. stop you. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's so much to unpack and so many things. Like you've mentioned so many movies and so many conversations I want to have, but I want to stop right now just because you mentioned Robert Duvall. And it, this isn't like a like a hey, I want to plug uh, or like name drop. But I had I did have the privilege of meeting Robert Duvall back when he was doing. Uh, it was a Civil War movie, like um, oh, gods and generals. That's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, had the op- like the extreme honor to uh, watch a day of their they were filming, and I don't oh. even know if Ted Turner made the cut or if he got deleted in that film. But he was in the movie. Oh, and, that's and and I was on the day where they where he was shooting, and I met Robert Duvall, him, the guy that was in Tron. And um, I, his name escapes me right now, like a box lightener or something. Um, oh, yeah, yeah box, lighter, box lighter. Yeah. And a couple other Rich people. But I had the the extreme honor of chatting with Robert Duvall for five mm-hmm. minutes. And he was in full on costume. So, I mean, this was early 2000s. Of course, yeah. he was, you know, a little bit older, but he was designed to look even older than, than yeah, he really he was. was. Yeah, Robert E. Lee. But yeah, yeah, Robert E. Lee. And it was it was amazing. Just such a. An extremely nice, nice man. I mean, he was in the fucking Godfather, pardon my French. You know, he's been in so many movies, but he's you know, he's in the Godfather. And it's like anything else you do is just icing on the cake when you're in the when when you're in the Godfather and Godfather 2. Although I've always said that uh, for years with Apocalypse Now, and Apocalypse Now really affected me, I think he would have been better as Kurtz than Marlon Brando was. Mm. Because when you read Heart of Darkness, Kurtz is like this panther, you know, just springboarded energy. And, And I'm sorry, Brando was too overweight. He was too kind of sloppy with the delivery. I was like, man... If Duvall had played Kurtz, that would have made the movie even better, which, you know, it's hard to think of that movie being made better. But uh, another, another 70s film, right? 79, I think, was Apocalypse. Yeah. Now. yeah. And I always love to uh, when I, I saw that in a it was a shopping mall movie theater and I went to see it and it was right around Thanksgiving time. So when I came out of the theaters, I've always said, this is how this thing affected me. I come walking out of the theater after that movie, see all these people shopping. And my first thought was, how do they dare do this after what just happened in there? And I had to stop and go, wait a minute, what happened in there was a movie. <laughs> it wasn't real. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but I, I, I love Duvall's stuff. I think he's, yeah, he's a great actor. No, he's fantastic. Um, I just wanted to stop there for a second. And, you know, please feel free to continue at any point. No, but, but you had just gone over so many things, whether you're talking yeah. about <laughs> politics, whether you're talking about war, whether you're talking mm-hmm. about counterculture, whether you brought up, um, I, I can't remember, I don't know if it was Shaft or Superfly, but oh, you, brought Shaft, up, yeah, yeah, yeah. you brought up like a black exploitation film, like so many different subgenres were like introduced oh, yeah, yeah. in that, well, in the that black, decade. The black movies of that time too. I mean, Uptown Saturday Night, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but one of the funniest movies and it was, uh, uh, gosh, what's his name? Sidney Poitier. Oh, yes, yeah, uh, and uh, I think he was he either directed it or produced it. But it was funny because in that movie, I don't know. Have you ever seen that one? Uptown Saturday? I know it. I've never seen it. 
Uh, Harry Belafonte does a Godfather takeoff that is so cool. Because <laughs> the, the premise of the story is Sidney Poitier sneaks out of his house one night, goes to this nightclub, you know, sneaks out from his wife's, you know, from the bedroom, goes to this big nightclub. Well, the nightclub gets robbed, and then he finds out the next day that he had the winning lottery ticket. So he's trying to find the lottery ticket, and in the in the events that follow, he runs into all these gangsters and mobsters. And Harry Belafonte is is one of the mobsters. It's great. I mean, you know, the cheek cheeks stuffed. Yeah, you know, you know, doing a Marlon Brando routine. It was so cool. Yeah. Uh, and um, you had also mentioned, you know, a lot of these uh, notable filmmakers, because whether it was Brian De Palma or Martin Scorsese, I mean, we know George Lucas. I I'm hesitant to include him, not, you know, like nothing against um, American Graffiti or Star Wars. But, you know, he was a, I mean, I would include him a bit more so with American Graffiti, but he he went a little big box. And now maybe, you know, that. Maybe I'm, I don't know. Maybe I'm judging based on success of Star Wars, but I'm thinking of like the like the auteurs in the sense of De Palma, Scorsese, Stanley yeah. Kubrick, Robert Altman, uh, Francis mm-hmm. Ford Coppola, Woody Allen. Um, yeah, Woody Allen. Ooh, I, uh, David Lynch. Hell, George A. Romero. Mm-hmm. Um, they were well, a little bit more. John contained. Carpenter already, who really takes off in the eighties, but in the seventies, he produced some pretty good stuff as well. Yeah, I mean, and shit like Night of the Living Dead was the sixties, but I mean, yeah. I, I think of Dawn of the Dead and what that really meant to mm-hmm. the, the horror industry. Uh, just you know, Dawn, uh, Night of the Living Dead was a scary movie, and it was more social commentary. Uh, obviously, he was saying a lot of things with Dawn of the Dead, but we literally saw somebody bite the freaking throat out of a human being which nobody had really ever seen uh in 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 the you know in in the 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 cinematic universe it it was it was different and granted it was i don't know if it was kind of like a a waxy it it was kind of like styrofoamy but you saw somebody's like it like throat chucked Mm -hmm. out of them yeah but maybe that's also a segue because the 70s was also and no disrespect to um alfred hitchcock but the 70s arguably was the most important decade for for horror films because mm, you take yeah, you yeah. take um Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you take <laughs> The Exorcist, right? Both of yeah. these movies were early 70s. You you take I mentioned uh Dawn of the Dead, you you close out the decade with Alien in 79, yeah. but you had a myriad of other films that were happening all throughout that. Uh, you could argue Jaws is a horror film, although yeah, I think Jaws is kind of like the the birth of the the Hollywood blockbuster, right? Mm-hmm. When we we found out like, oh, not only can movies be successful, but they could be extremely successful when you package them during those summer months when people are off. Oh, and we're, yeah. We're really focusing on making a, a big splash, no pun intended, in the box office, right? Yeah. You mentioned The Exorcist. I always love to mention this is when I saw it, one of the things I noticed, and this is my experience after seeing the movie, was most of the women I knew who had seen it were like, eh, it's okay. I think just about every male I knew was, I'm going to church next Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) absolutely scared them to death and i always i i like to use that as an example sometimes in my class look 
to me, the, the ultimate scene in that movie is when they hypnotize Reagan and she picks the guy up and throws him across the room. And if I had been the mother right then and there, I'd say, look, I know I'm your mother. I'm supposed to be de devoted to you, but we're dealing with something here that's far beyond me. I'm out of here, man. Because <laughs> when a 13-year-old girl can pick up a full-grown man and throw him across the room, you can take care of yourself, kid. <laughs> yeah. You know, and The Exorcist in itself, there's a lot to unpack just even with yeah. that film. But um, subject matter is one thing. But we we spoke briefly just a moment ago, just about kind of like that 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 decade of filmmakers having a bit more control. I mean, you yeah. just look at what like William Friedkin did. Oh, like yeah. he beat the shit. Like, pardon my French. Like out of of Reagan in the movie, the way that was filmed, and yeah. you know, putting her on where she was being like jerked around, and yeah. Yeah. Um, them throwing Ellen Burstyn around, like. None of that is fake. Like, you know, yeah. there there might have been rigs, but those 70s, uh, 70s decade yeah. rigs where people were like getting yeah, they were still, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's you know, we 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 look at it, you know, and granted it's beautiful art, and you don't ever want to you, you can't you can't paint art of the past with the, the same brush as mm. modern day. We well, know so much more uh now than than they did there, but you look at what some of these filmmakers did to achieve their craft you can, again you can you can you can judge all you want but um or maybe or it maybe it's not the right stuff. way to, but this this is a product of those times this is what yeah. happened it wasn't until the 80s where there was a different form of regulation that mm -hmm. that sprouted up where like oh, oh yeah, yeah. We're, we're, you, you can't have kids work X amount of hours. Oh, you can't do this to your stars. You can't do that. Yeah, yeah. But again, the 70s was kind of like a form of like the Wild West where no rules, no regulation. Wasn't the stuntman from the 70s? The one with Peter O'Toole? Oh. I believe um, that was in the 70s that came out, which goes into that very thing about how yeah. he'd abuse his cast. Yeah. That's a great call. Yeah. I, I completely forgot about that one. Yeah. I, I didn't think of it either. But when you mentioned that, I was like, yeah, the stuntman was sort of. Uh, and, and it's funny because, you know, you mentioned the horror and sci I could have sort of put the two of them together, horror and sci-fi. But the, the ones I listed, Ben, Boys from Brazil. Carrie, of course, The Exorcist, Soylent mm -hmm. Green, The Omega Man, uh, Stepford Wives, Westworld. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I I know you can keep going, but yeah, I mean, they're those are such great titles right there. I mean, obviously, Soylent Green and uh, uh, Omega. Did you say Marathon Omega or Omega Man? Man? Yeah. yeah, it was The Omega Man. Was yeah, the, so those the, were both Charles Heston, Heston, was it? Yeah, it was his version of I Am Legend, which... Of course, yep. came out of uh, Vincent Price's Last Man on Earth. Uh, right. Yeah. But, I mean, that's been done several times. And then, of course, you mentioned Carrie. That was an early Brian De Palma film, obviously yeah. based on one of the early Stephen works of King. Stephen King. Yeah. Yeah. And again, just a it was a decade of pure decadence. I mean, we could we could just go on and on and on of great titles. Yeah. If and we you could, mentioned, I mean, you're not a big fan, maybe of Star Wars, but really uh, the first. No, one I love Star Wars. I, oh, I love yeah. Star Wars. I just try not to. I don't think of it as a 70s film as that movie is just now like that because it's fran like the franchise has like transcended. Yeah, 50 well, to me, years. the first one reset sci fi forever. Mm. 
because I, I remember going to the theater to watch it and that opening sequence where first you see the ship pass over. You know, that's pretty cool. And then you see the the star cruiser just keep going and going and going. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, I've never seen anything like this. So Star Wars basically reset sci-fi all You're 100% right. 100% yeah. right. But then you look at the, the man who fell to Earth. David Bowie. Uh, you yeah. already mentioned Alien, which is really just a gothic ghost haunted house story in space. But then the other one, and I think this is the best variation of a movie that's been done several times, The Invasion of the Body Snatchers with mm-hmm. Donald Sutherland, I thought it, was the best of the of, of all those remakes. I like that you mentioned that because I like the one, I don't know if it was a, a Roger Corman film, but like there was one like the 50s or something. Yeah, the or, 50s was the original, which, which was an allegory for communism. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, I I say Roger Corman only. I don't even think it was a Roger Corman, but I, I, yeah. But the, one of the actors in that movie was he shows a, up in the remake. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. the dog, actually. Right. He was he was the bum in the park who becomes the dog. Yeah, which and was, but the the seventies really with um oh my god Donald Sutherland uh, yeah love love the 70s but you know again it wasn't necessarily as much of a communism allegory but it was still really really freaking well, well done. I think because the special effects had gotten better they said all right let's redo this mm-hmm. uh because that's one of the things but yeah Leonard Nimoy was the the friend of his and and uh yeah, that was really well. But Alien, I loved uh, mostly because, well, first of all, it introduced us to Gorney Weaver, which, hey, there's a plus. Uh, <laughs> but Because really, I, my apologies to Jennifer Lawrence, but uh, I think Sigourney Weaver has the uh, the title of first action female figure. Um, but it was also, here again, so well done. I mean, you know, all the little twists and turns where Ash turns out to be the, the robot. And, you know, uh, of course, the face hugger has become an absolute symbol unto itself. What is also interesting about about aliens, and one thing that I want to do after this is I want to maybe like hone in on two or three. You know, okay. like I feel this is a conversation we could go on for a long time. And quite frankly, to be honest with you, Bill, I'm I'm perfectly OK with that. But. <laughs> Just to have, you know, we've been chatting for half hour or so, but to try to have a little, a little organization, we'll get there in a minute. But you know what? I'm not, I'm not there right now. So I'm I'm all about like, all right, let's, let's clang associate. Yeah. And what I'll do, let me just kind of go through the, the the list is almost over. I promise. (laughs) Well, in drama, I first, I listed Joe was one of the first movies I saw in 1970. I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't quite hear that one. Say it again. Joe, which was Peter Boyle playing this absolute prejudiced person. I mean, if you think he was bad in Monster, it was just Joe getting older. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, but you had One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, mm-hmm. Five Easy Pieces, Chinatown. So, you know, those, and those weren't all, you know, you had a lot of other Nicholson movies. French Connection, uh, The Last Detail, here again, Jack Nicholson yep. again. Uh, I mentioned Clockwork Orange. You brought it up, which here again, I'm mine. It's funny, Clockwork Orange, I sometimes show to my classes, but I tell them it is completely optional. If you start getting creeped out, go ahead and go, because yeah. I would understand it. I can, I can get that, yeah. And one of the things that's interesting about Clockwork Orange 
was, of course, this is when X was actually a rating, you know, before it was a marketing tool for porn. Uh, I, I always heard that Clockwork Orange was the first movie to get the X rating, not for the sex, but for the violence. <laughs> so it's like, you know, that tells you where that is. But then Straw Dogs, yep. uh, which is a great movie. Marathon Man, uh, Three Days of the Condor, Dog Day Afternoon, uh, China Syndrome, Network. Uh, by the way, I've always said Network is really just one long joke and the punchlines at the very last line. Uh, the French Connection, I think we already brought that up. Uh, Taxi Driver, The Godfathers 1 and 2. Uh, and then Interiors, which is the only Woody Allen movie that has a joke that bombs. Uh, <laughs> my favorite Woody Allen movie was Manhattan. I, I think that's the favorite of his I have. But I was living in New York at the time that came out. and I just thought it captured New York beautifully. But then the one I, I love mentioning is Play Misty for me. Oh, which, which yeah. Uh, and. I didn't even bother with Fatal Attraction because when I heard the story, I said, well, Clint Eastwood already did it and play Misty. <laughs> Why would yeah. I bother with Fatal Attraction? I didn't. I mean, well, Fatal Attraction was like 84, 85, 86. Yeah, but, yeah. but I didn't even know play. Yeah, I guess play Misty for me yeah, was the 70s Misty. film. I completely forgot. So I, about I was it. in the Navy when I saw it. So I know it's. The 70s. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good one, too. That's Eastwood. Yeah. That, no, that's yeah, Clint Eastwood. Eastwood. Yeah. It was mm -hmm. his first. It was the first one he directed, too. Yeah. Mm hmm. But he also completely what I mean, you were so used to Clint Eastwood as the tough Western guy or the yeah, guy. which is why I'm like, wait, that's Clint Eastwood, right? Like I completely had to like pause and Just go back. Completely wait, that was Eastwood, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah which, which was great. Uh, I did put some miscellaneous ones because I'm not sure where you would put them, but I like Fantastic Planet. Is that animation? Is it sci-fi? It's more animation to me. All that jazz. Yeah, uh, Seven Beauties, which is the Lena Wertmuller film. I didn't see that one. Oh, okay, it's a satire on World War II. A very brilliant one too. Uh, Papillon. Yep. Uh, Deliverance. Lenny, and I do mention Barry Lyndon because is that a historical film or is it you know what do you, what do you call that? I don't know. And then the other one I mentioned is Skin Game, which. Not the Alfred Hitchcock skin game, but the one with uh, with uh, James Garner and um, Lou Gossett, where they're the con men, uh, which is a very interesting movie because if it had pushed a little too far, it would have come off as really very racist. Mm -hmm. But they really pull it off. Of, of They address the problems of race and slavery and all that, but it's still funny to watch. It's... Is it a comedy? Is it a Western? You know, I don't know, but it's a brilliant satire. Uh, some TV movies that I thought I'd mentioned, Duel, which sort oh, of yeah, introduced Spielberg. Steven Spielberg intro. And then Salem's Lot, which was... I'm the, glad you know, that you brought up Salem's Lot. Yeah, because that was, you know, because that was done as a miniseries, of course, so it gave them more time. So, yeah, those are two TV movies that I thought were really impactful. And then the last part of the list is just so that I'm not glorifying the decade completely. These are some movies that are best forgotten. Okay. Oh, <laughs> I, this might be the best conversation right now. Okay. Paint Your Wagon. Yeah. Which showed us that 
as great as Lee Marvin and Clint Eastwood are, they can't sing. Uh, <laughs> Saturday Night Live, or, or I'm sorry, Saturday Night Fever. Mm. But I hated disco anyway, so that was sort of was. I what put me off of that more than anything was when I watched it. It was the language that bothered me because it was so pervasive. I was like. This is convincing everybody in the world. This is how all New Yorkers are. <laughs> it's like, come on. All right. We're crude. We're rude, but we're not this bad. <laughs> so I didn't care for that. That really bothered me. Um, no, I, I, I want to stop and pause for a second. And I'm not I, I don't want to open up anything controversial. But what I do find. In my experience, and maybe I'm completely wrong and off base. And again, this is not designed to be uh, argumentative and I'm not trying to trigger anything. But what it, what I what I notice about many New Yorkers is. Um, New Yorkers are, hey, we're you know, we're we're loose, we're we're you know, we're we're good. We're you know, we're, everything is great. We can be opinionated. We're going to have our opinions. But don't you dare. Don't you dare hold a mirror and say, this is how we are. No, well, I think that's what bothered me more. Yeah. And like I say, the fact that I just did not. I, this is why I was so glad the movies were so good in the 70s, because the music until The Clash came along, which is, was just horrible to me. Oh, no. She yeah, inspired I mean, at The Clash. No, I mean, until they came along. Oh, OK, OK. To okay. me, the 70s was a waste. I mean, of course, you had Joni Mitchell, Jackson Brown, some of the Southern rock I enjoyed, but it was like overall it was just disco 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 okay okay i'm with you i'm with you now okay uh, <laughs> i thought uh, you were like shooting, shooting oh no no i think london calling is one of the seminal albums of all time uh the other one the other two i'll mention is i i now i never saw a love story but i endured the book that was enough uh <laughs> i was not about to invest my time and money in the movie because when the book came out, it was, oh, this is a brilliant new book. Nothing like it before. And I'm reading it. I was like, this is every 19th century Italian opera ever made. Uh, <laughs> what is this? This is nothing original here. Uh, in fact, the joke I always loved about the, the novel, of course, is do you know why they don't have a copy of Love Story in the Library of Congress? It's because they don't have a shelf dedicated to novels written on paper, brown paper bags and crayon. Uh, and then the last one I'll mention that I think is best forgotten, and I think it largely is, is the Dino De Laurentiis King Kong, uh, which oh, was right. absolutely. Uh, was that? Um, but the name? saving grace was Jessica Lang. That was her. Jessica first. Lang. Jessica Lang. And I'm watching the movie, and I'm like, this girl has a horrible script, but she still has a presence. You knew mm -hmm. she was going to go places because I watched her and I said, I'm watching this because I'm watching a very skilled actress work with a terrible script. <laughs> yeah. Who was the male in that? Was that Jeff, was Bridges, Jeff Bridges? Or yeah, Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Was And I think, was it John Saxon or Michael Ironside? Played the industrialist. There was, you know, yeah, no, uh, I honestly, I'd say I, I want to go back and revisit that, but no, I don't want to go back and revisit no, it. I'm just purely <laughs> basing, it, basing it on memories from 30 some yeah. odd years ago as a kid. Um, yeah, like we, I had a list of like, all right, me, you know, like I've got movies that I think would be a fun conversation. You mentioned well over 100 titles uh, right oh, now. Yeah, we kind of covered everything. 
we did <laughs> omit kind of like the subgenre of like the the disaster like area. Well, uh, that era was the, the other 70s. one. I, yeah, the Irwin Allen disaster movies. Well, the one good thing that came out of those to me was the uh, air, airport or airplane from the uh, brothers uh, yep. <laughs> later on. But yeah, earthquake and and what was of course it was funny because I I went to see with my family we went to see Towering Inferno, mm -hmm. and my father who was an engineer just complained the whole movie like that couldn't <laughs> happen that's impossible you couldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mean not like uh, the Zucker brothers when they did Airplane yeah, that was airplane, that was brilliant but yeah your so disaster films you had the Towering Inferno like you mentioned you had Earthquake, earthquake. you had. Poseidon, Poseidon Adventure, Adventure and yeah, uh, yeah. Then there was a uh, lesser, uh, lesser um, disaster, kind of like roller coaster, yeah. and myriad yeah. other films in the seventies. Yeah. But yeah, the, that disaster uh, subgenre was uh, yeah, it was, kind of, it was kind of a disaster unto itself. <laughs> yeah. Because they had. Did you ever see any of the films that had sense around? Did yeah, he, I saw the earthquake, but and it was interesting, but it was like, okay, it's just low frequency hitting you in the gut. But it really having lived in California now, I can tell you the sense around did not replicate an earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> Although I one thing I did love in, in the earthquake movie was the Walter Matthau part who played the drunk and went uncredited. And if was he uncredited? Yeah, he just said, "Oh, let me just—I'll just show up and do this." That's great. Because the oh whole my god, time, we didn't mention he, Bad News Bears either. Um, I'm not a big fan of that one, uh, because I'm, I'm a big baseball fan and I love baseball. I was like, okay, that's you know, it's a family. I just movie. love Walter Matthau in that movie. Yeah, it's yeah, just Matt like Adams. the drunk coach. Just, I think he even gives like all the kids beers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But uh, but anyhow, but yeah, I loved it in Earthquake, though. The whole time he's in the bar, he's spilling the drinks until the earthquake hits. And then it's perfectly steady. Mm -hmm. so, All right. That um, was great. But yeah, the idea was these big budget. Go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 please. Uh, what well, I was just say big is... budget, big cast. Yep. You know, ensemble type stuff was the selling point. But the stories themselves were kind of dumb. <laughs> exactly and you know what it'd be you know, we've never seen that since right we we haven't well, seen <laughs> 2012 i would say was exactly. in there exactly you know, that's the whole point now um i said a ton 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 of films okay yeah and i wrote a list now i'll leave it to you I've, I've gone through my list <laughs> well and that, this is great i did my list is nowhere near as comprehensive I just wrote a few movies like all right, okay. maybe we'll we'll get into a couple movies that we we're not necessarily take a deep dive, but there'd be a good fun conversational piece. Yes. But I kind of I just did a list of all right, what are 10 to 15 films that I think would be kind of fun to discuss? So you had already mentioned well, literally you mentioned all of them except for one. I'll get to it in a minute. But we had mentioned uh, Chinatown and Blazing Saddles and Holy Grail and The Exorcist and Star Wars and Taxi Driver, Clockwork Orange, Harold and Maude, Carrie. The ones that I also had on my list that I thought would be fun, even though, you, like I said, you went with Shaft. I went with Coffee just because of it's Pam Greer. And I was, uh, you know, I've, I've always been a big Pam Greer. Yeah, I, I've not seen that one. Okay, so it's it's your 
your classic seventies. You know, um, I hate to use the phrase, but that was a genre. You know, like black exploitation. That was yeah, a phrase. The black you know, well, I'm going to get you, sucker. And exactly, I'm going to get you, sucker. Right. Um, yeah. So, coffee is the story, basically, of Pam Greer avenging her her sister's death, based on uh, somebody that like sold her heroin, and she, you know, but it's Pam Greer, seventy, so it's. It's Pam Greer in the 70s. It's everything you need, you know, right there. And she just kills every motherfucker. Like, you know, she just (laughs) just goes on a rampage. And there's so many great one liners in it. Mm. And uh, that that's that's my go to film of that genre, because I've always, you know, my introduction to Pam Greer, you know, just from like an aging perspective was Jackie Brown, which I was introduced in the 90s. But so uh, Quentin Tarantino introduced me to her. So I went back and that that's what introduced me to that, that yeah. genre. So whether it was um, um, Shaft or I can't believe, I can't believe, my mind is escaping me on all the other black exploitation films, but my. Oh yeah. Superfly, of course. Superfly. Was... Thank you. Superfly. Um, but yeah, so I went back and if Pam Greer was in and I was watching and, and coffee was, that was one that was, just held a very, very special uh, place in my heart. I just, I, I loved her being the hero. And not only can you, you know, be uh, black and, you know, be, you know, uh, a badass and be vengeful, but she was also a very strong woman, which it was very, very ahead of its time. And granted, yeah. the, the acting is still a little over the top, uh, but it has one of the best drag a human being scenes like behind oh, a car that you'll ever okay. see. It's so good. It's so That's good. Okay. So a little shout out to coffee that I had on there. Uh, another movie that we did not discuss, and it's not a big film by any means, but it's one of my favorite 70s film. And I may have mentioned it with you when we spoke before, but it was called Sleuth. And it's oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Lawrence Olivier and yeah. Michael Caine. And yeah. They're the only two guys in the whole film. And, and it's kind yeah. of like a little like mystery cat and mouse yeah. Uh, yeah. story. And it's just one of those rare occurrences where the story is very simple, but you're going to see two brilliant actors. Yeah, go head to head. Just go head to head. And that that was that was a fun. I was well, introduced to that movie during also, COVID. Pardon didn't me? Conversation. The conversation come out of the 70s. Oh, I don't know that film. The one with Gene Hackman. Perhaps I don't know it. Okay, I'll uh, look it up. I'll, I'll look at. I don't know conversation. Because you mentioned Sleuth, I'm thinking. Well, the conversation was a little bit like that too. Where, okay, where he's, I'll, I'll take a look at that. I'll take a look at that. Um, yeah. Is there anything else? Oh, just because I didn't mention Jaws, not because. Well, we kind of casually mentioned Jaws. Yeah. Yeah. But I wanted to go with a different Spielberg film. So I mentioned Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Okay, yeah, yeah. Good friend of mine. That's his favorite movie of all of them. Um, we mentioned Superman. And I think Superman actually deserves a moment for us to oh, yeah. recognize simply for the fact that, in all intents and purposes, it was the first superhero, yeah. film, like comic book superhero the really, film. Because there was a Superman that came out in the 40s. Mm-hmm. Oh, like the show or the you know, like George it. Reeves or whatever not George Reeves not the TV show but there was a movie because the TV show was 50s mm-hmm. oh right mm-hmm. but I'm trying to remember who was in it um, 
Sorry. But yeah, that, that, that's Superman. And of course, the big thing is that where the, the lowest lanes in the train when he outruns it and her grandmother is the lowest lane from the uh, TV show. Oh, oh, okay. I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, know, yeah I didn't know that. That, that little, was kind of uh, cool. deep cut. Uh, um, and Jackie Cooper as as Perry White was really fun. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was, and I mean, it was a Richard Donner, you know, early, yeah, yeah. you know, early Richard Donner film, and but that movie, you know, kind of created. I know that Tim Burton's Batman recreated because Batman two, three, and four kind of heard it, even yeah. though like the Donner cut of superman 2 if you if you haven't if you haven't seen the donna yeah. cut version oh really no i haven't it's a step it. up from superman 2 it's a major okay. step up uh which i don't know if they still have it on hbo but there yeah. was a time on hbo or hbo max which i guess is just max now you could watch the the donner cut version oh, of superman 2 which is an elevated version, just like they recently did with like the Justice League. There was a Justice League and oh, then okay. Justice yeah. League Snyder cut. Um, there was a, a Donner cut and the Donner cut of Superman 2, a lot more artistic, uh, mm-hmm. actually makes a lot more sense, a lot less hokey. And... Well, Superman was just the setup movie, really. You know, the first yeah. one. Um, but, but I think I love, what yeah, I really I enjoyed about that, though, was was watching Reeve. Because just his posture, his face would change from one character. I was like, this guy's really nailing it nicely. Mm -hmm. It's more than just the glasses and the haircut. It's like the way he holds himself, the way he talks, you know. Uh, In fact, it's funny because I always wanted to write a short story about Superman going to a psychiatrist because he's losing control of the two identities. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I'd like, I'd like, I'd like you to explore that a little bit more and do it. Um, what I do find funny when people talk about Superman, whenever they're like, that makes no sense. Like how do people not recognize them? My rebuttal is the fact that I didn't start wearing glasses until I turned 30 and and yet, like before I, I turned 30, when people would say, oh, you you look like so-and-so, it was never with anybody that had glasses. Since 30, it's always been you look like somebody that always has glasses. Has glasses yeah. And then when people like see me without my glasses, they're the like, pictures, wait, yeah, like, you. like you look different. And <laughs> it's just it's just it's just a frame. But yeah. that's what people see. And yeah. so it, it is when people are like, well, he all he's done is just take his his glasses off and his hair is slightly different. I'm like, oh, no, people are that stupid. Yeah. I assure you, it's <laughs> it's not that far off. People yeah. like that would never make sense. No, 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 no. In reality, I'm not a superhero, but people will see me, see me without glasses and they don't recognize they me. They don't believe it's you. Yeah. It, yeah it, it, so it's just one of those funny something that's so simple, but also so, so accurate. I have to laugh too because, of course, after Superman, he did what was it, the Ira Levine Death Trap? I didn't uh, see with that. Michael Caine. Um, and oh, uh, Death Trap. Was, yeah, yeah, no, 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 yeah. Death Trap. Yeah, yeah, Death Trap. Yep, one hundred percent. So many women were in mourning when they they did the uh, gay kiss. <laughs> Like after salivating over Superman, they go and see this movie, and then he kisses Michael Caine in the movie. <laughs> you know what? I I thought Death Trap was actually a pretty good flick. I like. Oh no, the... it's it's a really interesting. It's Ira Levine, right? Ira Levine. 
because that's yeah that's uh that's basically the 80s version in a way of sleuth that i just mentioned yeah instead of it being michael kane lawrence olivier yeah. in that case it's michael kane and, and christopher and, reeve yeah. um although well the diane death cannon is, i think was was the was it diane cannon yeah diane cannon yeah was mm-hmm. the actress in there but, yeah. but I did laugh at that when that came out because all the girls I knew were like, oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> That's funny. That's really funny. Um, now, here we are, like an hour in, and I want to know if you could put yourself back in the 70s, any movies that you saw in the theater, just because in the theater is something that I always latch onto personally, just because I, I like seeing movies on the big screen was there a movie that you saw like on the big screen in the 70s that there, there was it, it was just something special like oh whether it doesn't have to be a personal but you're like this the first time you saw it you're like this is a big movie this is gonna stand that like the tests of time well to me I, like i say i think star wars was the one that most knocked me out just because the visuals so you saw uh, it in, back in 77. Yeah, I saw it when it first came out. I hate and, you. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm old enough to have seen it that way. But <laughs> but also, I mean, I think now Dog Day Afternoon was another one. And I was living in New York when that robbery went down. So that held a special place for me, too, because I was like, oh, I didn't realize this was going on all that time, too. <laughs> Oh, you know what? You because you mentioned Dog Day. Dog Day. That's Dustin Hoffman, right? No, 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 no. no that's uh, Al Pacino. Uh, it was Pacino and yep. uh, what's his name from The Godfather who played Fredo? Uh, oh, Fredo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see his face. Um, I'm gonna have to. I'd have to Google it. I, his I, name is escaping I, I, me. I can't remember his name, but I think he only lived long enough to do like five movies, but mm-hmm. all of them were like they were all Hunter, the two Godfathers. Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah. I can't yeah. remember the other yeah. one. Everything were... he did was amazing. Yeah. Every yeah. film he ever did. Yeah. And you're right. He only did like five, like five films. Um, so here we go. Then I'm going to play a little fun game just for just for the sake of time. I'm going to give you kind of an either or. There's no wrong answer, but it's just your your first initial answer. Here okay. we go. Um, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino. You can only choose one. Jeez. Hmm. In the seventies, seventies, mind you. In the seventies, probably De Niro. Probably De Niro. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I would say De Niro. Dustin Hoffman, Robert Redford. Hmm. I think I have to go with Redford, just because of Butch Cassidy and and. You know the sting and those. yeah i think hoffman really took off to me in the 80s you know it's so funny because of the fact that like you mentioned butch cassidy i think that was 69 yeah that was actually know. 69 but, but yeah. no 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 this this ties in because the, the graduate sting. because yeah. the graduate was also like the late 60s right yeah. so very very both uh but the 70s Robert but you Redford, had you know, all the president's men, all the yeah. president's men, three days of the condor, yeah, right? So you could get both of them. The sting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, that's it, it, there. You go. That's the complete. Uh, that's your thesis argument right there. Um, uh, but it's funny because I, know, I. It's funny with with three days of the condor. The only problem I had with that movie, and in the book was titled Five Days of the Condor, right? Mm-hmm. And then the movie was three days. 
And as I, I understand it's Robert Redford, but I don't see anybody kidnapping some female and converting her to his side in a day and a half. <laughs> you know, that's I'm, I'm so glad that you did bring that up. Now, we I covered. Th- uh, so I had a guest on last year and we covered three days of the condor. And that was one of the critiques that I had with it as well. Listen, I get it. It's Robert Redford. He's one of the the top five most dashing American yeah, men to ever that. exist, but it's still kidnapping and it's yeah, still yeah. like you're going to Stockholm syndrome ain't going to go over that. Yeah, Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I think about it. It was also it was Faye Dunaway, right? Faye Dunaway. Yeah, Faye Dunaway. Right? But Max Van Sydow as the assassin. I yeah, Max Van Sydow. But I was going to backtrack a couple of years or maybe uh, go forward a year um, to Chinatown where Jack Nicholson, basically Faye Dunaway in the 70s, just met oh, too she many was, of the wrong yeah, guys, man. Like, and, yeah, all that stuff. I mean, geez, yeah. Um, Chinatown's but, another movie that that I love talking about just simply for the story structure, the screenplay. Um, I don't consider myself a big Roman Polanski, you know, Roman Polanski, the filmmaker. Uh, yeah. Whenever I have these conversations, yeah, we, I yeah, always try to think. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, I don't ever talk about Woody Allen outside of the films, right? Films, I don't yeah. you know, like yeah. just not interested in that. Like, we there, there's an entirely different conversation. But the art, the artist, right? So Roman Polanski's Chinatown, one of the great, 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 well, great films of all of time. One of great these movies, films, Chinatown and the Pianist were the two that I liked the most. Not a fan of, uh, what was it, Rosemary's Baby? Yeah, Rosemary's Baby. Uh, but it's not the first thing that comes to mind with him. Mm-hmm. Um, Chinatown, I think. And maybe I think, of, you know, and truth is, maybe Robert Town deserves more credit than Roman Polanski. I don't know. You know, maybe there's yeah. an argument to be made for that. But because, I mean, screenplay-wise and structurally, Chinatown is just it's perfect even on the page, you know, yeah. and even though like the subject matter isn't perfect, I mean, the, the twist of it basically being she's my sister and my daughter, you yeah, know, yeah, and then yeah. it's slap, slap, slap. And that, like none. Of, I mean, it's not fun to watch, but from a, a story perspective, it's very well executed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, just a brilliant film. Um, you had mentioned Carrie. You mentioned Harold and Maude. And. Oh, yeah. One day I will cover that show on this podcast because I've got so many thoughts on Harold and Maude. And um, it's, it's one of my all-time favorite comedies, romance stories. But I'm just going to say, if you haven't ever seen Harold and Maude, if you oh, want God. something that's so perfectly yeah. 70s. I use that in some of my classes just as a... It's such a great film. But it's so unconventional. And it's you, the less you know about Harold and Maude, the better. That's one of those yeah. movies that... It's almost better not to know anything. You just, hey, I'm going to introduce you to this movie. Yeah. Watch it. Just watch the 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 characters and then yeah. come back and let me know what you think. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like. The fact like, that Cat Stevens does the music doesn't hurt. Yeah, either. Cat Stevens <laughs> does the music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, it, you know, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of subtext, but at its core, it's still just it's just a, a fun coming of age relationship story mm-hmm. between two people that would otherwise not ever be connected. By the way, speaking of Harold and Maude, do you know who the motorcycle cop is? 
oh my god uh i need to go back and watch it but no tom scarrett was it tom scarrett <laughs> yeah, <Tom Skerritt> was... <laughs> oh 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 you mentioned tom scarrett uh i want i want to go back to this because we had mentioned alien and oh, i think i started and then we we, we segued a little bit because obviously yeah. tom scarrett's an alien but what was fun about alien is nobody in the film like by name has like a uh, a gender associated with That's them true. all their yeah. names yeah, are completely all the last names they're all the last names yeah. yeah and and when people in 1979 would have seen and that's why like i i can only assume because of the fact that i didn't see alien in 1979 but at that time, like John Hurt and Tom Skerritt were the the larger mm-hmm. of the names. Oh, right? Yafet no, Kodo. Yafet Kodo, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the whole concept of a final girl was relatively, relatively new. Obviously, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we had a final girl in Halloween, which had only come out a year before. But there wasn't any, it wasn't an expectation that oh, it, it's going to be the the woman that survives. You're not right. only does a woman survive an alien, which is a little bit different than, say, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah. where she survives basically just kind of out of luck. And mm-hmm. um, in Halloween, you know, um, I can't believe I forgot her name. Uh, uh, Lee. Oh, it was Jamie um, Lee Curtis. Right? Thank you, Jamie Lee yeah. Curtis. She wasn't, you know, she was kind of, you know, she was kind of like the, the I don't want to say the nerd, but she was like the the lesser of her three yeah. friends. She wasn't equipped to survive. Yeah. yeah. But we learned very early that that Ripley and Alien. Yeah, Ripley is. Yeah. You're not going to fuck with Ripley. You know, she's by <laughs> the book, you know, and she's not a final girl. She's not a victim. Even yeah. in that very first alien, she's like, no, you're not getting back on the spaceship. Yeah. We're not yeah. like you're you're violating. This is one of those rare examples of the person being by the code is the one that survives. Generally, mm-hmm. the smartest character in a film is the one that dies, right? Yeah. Like in Star Wars, Obi-Wan Kenobi is the first to go, right? Yeah. Like, you know, your 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 brains in the operation are usually ones that are going to be punished because of the fact that you don't want your hero being the survivor. In mm-hmm. Alien, the the moral compass, the smarter person or the the more logical person was the one that survived and yeah. and then she she did it with like a raw vigor and you know, granted, you know, there there's the 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 couple little questionable moments like did she need to be in her underwear in the final scene? Whatever. Yeah. But Ripley was kind of uh, a trailblazer in a way of introducing an audience to a different type of yeah, female character. Wrong female character yeah. in the mainstream, in the mainstream that is. Yeah. And I think, and I really love Sigourney Weaver. I just, you know, I've always said she can do anything. She's done comedy. She's done action. She's done drama. You know, she can go anywhere, uh, I think. Um, I agree. No, I, I admittedly, my introduction was, uh, I, I still remember it. <laughs> Not my first film, but one of my early film experience or movie theater experiences was Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. And she's Dana Barrett. She is, I know she's Ripley, 
but to me, she's Dana Barrett, yeah. and I'll always think of her. But you look in... at like, I don't what know if you ever seen. I don't know if you've ever seen Death and the Maiden. Death and Maiden. With, Death and the Maiden. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That's such a great movie. Um, yeah, when I saw, it, I was like, man, this is there anything she can't do? No, she she covers <laughs> it all. No, she's. Yeah. And it should even in the Alien franchise, she's you know she's taken Ripley in different directions and mm-hmm. given it a different angle. But um, yeah, no, she's she's an incredibly talented and yeah. I don't want to I don't I, I don't like to throw the term underrated, but I do think there's an element that that Sigourney Weaver I think is under underappreciated and underrated think- for what it is that she's capable and what she does do. I, I know we're veering off the seventies a bit here, but I put her in the same category as I put I put her, Catherine Zeta Jones, Emily Blunt, and Scarlett Johansson, I would put in there too, that they're all attractive women, but what pulls you in is not their physical looks, it's their talent. Mm, mm-hmm. That you know, I, I mean Emily Blunt is one. If she's in a movie, I'm good to go see it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, um, what's the one she's coming out in now? Um, geez, I, I can't remember the name of it now, but uh, well, I don't know. Uh, she's got a new movie. Um, it's the guy from Peaky Blinders. Is oh, the Oppenheimer movie. Oh, Oppenheimer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she, she's in that. And I said, oh, I'm good to go. Yeah. Plus, it's got Kenneth Branagh, too, who is another one. I love watching. Julian Murphy and it's a uh, and it's um Christopher Nolan film. Yeah, it's probably going to be a good film. Probably yeah. going to be a good film. But yeah, anything Emily Blunson, I'm good for. I was like, I've for never, sure, for sure. I've never no, seen her do anything bad. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, but yeah, I put Sigourney Weaver in that same sort of category. Is like, yeah, she can be very beautiful, but that's not what pulls me in. What pulls me in is she occupies the character so well. No, you're yeah. you're absolutely you're right on it. Yeah, there and it goes both ways. I mean, there are plenty of, you know, dashing men that like, you know, they're they're good, but like I'm just really really captivated by just how they hold how, the camera how and how you're completely in their moment. Like and well, you know, and, and to kind of pull this back into the 70s going the opposite direction, you got Charles Bronson. <laughs> Charlie Bronson. Yeah. <laughs> who, has, who has to have the most beaten face around, and yet <laughs> I love his stuff. I look at everything he does, like Chato's <laughs> Land. And, you know, I don't know. Solid you know. Earth looking motherfucker, but yeah. you gotta love oh, him. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, but <laughs> looks like he comes from like a uh, salt yeah, what mine. Else did you you know? what else? Oh God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, one of my favorite scenes with him is in the Dirty Dozen when the, the psychologist is. <laughs> Like mother baseball, uh, <laughs> Hitler baseball. <laughs> oh, that's such a good reference, man. That's such a good reference. Um, I don't know where else I want to go other than the fact that like this, this just could teeter on a really oh, God, lengthy yeah. conversation. Um, all right, I had a couple questions for you, but I don't know if there's really anything that. By the way, one that I didn't mention that just came to mind was talking about Yafit Koto was report to the commissioner. Uh, 
I don't know report to the oh, commissioner. Okay. I just know Yafet it has a line in films, but I know that it was a movie. It was that. Michael Moriarty and Yafet Kodo were in that. And uh, very interesting. I, I think it's off a play, actually. Okay. So okay. It was not an action film, but it was about this cop who's, who's trapped in the elevator with a, a criminal. And I think Yafet Kodo plays his lieutenant or something like that. But uh, very interesting movie. I'm gonna I'm gonna check that one out now. Yeah. For here we go. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a very very okay. So I'm gonna throw a very hard question, and maybe this is how we're gonna wrap this one up. Just okay. because we've been chatting for an hour, so I don't want I don't I want know. people, you know. Uh, again, that's why that's why I warned you this topic. No, good. Bill, like no, 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 and <laughs> we can we can we can we can try this again and be a little yeah. bit more streamlined. But this has been fun just to chat about movies and just have a fun conversation about about '70s films. But here we go. Pretend for a second I've never seen a 70s film. I'm going to okay. do the same thing in reverse. I'm going to offer mine. But I want okay. you to give me five films okay. that basically that they don't have to be the, the, the five best of the 70s, but the five films five most that, representative. that represent the 70s. The okay, best. and here again, five films. taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3, absolutely. Godfather, uh, Apocalypse Now, I would definitely go with that. Uh, Harold and Maude, like you say, that is so emblematic of the 70s. Um, and then after that, probably I would, just because most people haven't seen it, I would say Seven Beauties. Okay. Uh, I love yeah. that. So I don't really have too many differences. Like, if I were to say five films that that encapsulate the seventies, I feel Blazing Saddles is a movie that I would throw just because it's a movie that would never be able to be made today yeah. Yeah. in any other decade. I think Blazing Saddles works. You know what? That might be. You know what? Actually, I'm going to go with one that is kind of unconventional just because of the fact that it was. It was an important movie in its decade, but also kind of showed the, the changing of American culture. And I'm going to oh. go with Kramer versus Kramer. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. Not for a happy reason, mind you, yeah. <laughs> but just, you know, just the the the, the family dynamics. The we are now entering. Stuff, yeah, yeah we, we are now entering a world where um, you don't family roles were changing, women <laughs> in the workforce um men taking a different form of responsibility um so i think i think that was very very pivotal for the 70s i think even though it's like i said i'm not going to put in my top five favorite 70s films but a movie that it felt very 70s yes. um so i'm going to put kramer versus kramer up there i'm going to put and We've covered so many films. I'm trying to think of titles that you didn't say. Um, I took all your fun away. <laughs> you did. You did. Did you say the deer hunter? Yeah. I well, I mentioned it, but yeah, okay. it's it's very. I didn't put it in my top five. Again, I'm, this isn't my top five. This is oh, just oh, oh, the five representatives. Five that represent the '70s. Yeah. I'm going to put the deer hunter in there just because of uh, Vietnam and what that yeah, mentioned. And PTSD and, too is. Pardon me. The PTSD issue. Yeah, exactly. P PTSD. Um, and then 
summer blockbuster. I'm going to go Jaws. Jaws. Uh, just the movie that launched the entire genre. And lastly, I don't know if I said a horror film. So I'm going to take... I'm going to take the movie that basically started the whole modern-day horror slasher genre, and I'm going to take Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Texas Chainsaw, okay. So those are the five movies that that I'm going to lump into just movies that are definitively 70s. Yeah. yeah. Not necessarily like my top five favorite 70s films, although I yeah. enjoy them all. But yeah. movies that I think are distinct. But if somebody, 70s. yeah, what were the 70s like? Here you go. Check these yep. out. It's funny. I got to tell you this one, uh, and then I'll let you wrap it up if you wish. But I went to see Jaws. I was living in Virginia, and uh, a friend of mine had moved to Wyoming and married a girl there, and and they were out visiting his folks, and we all went together. And about, I don't know, 15, maybe 18 minutes in, she left the theater. And he says, that's okay, don't worry about it. So, okay, fine. So we watch the movie, we come out, and she's in the lobby. And I said, well, why'd you leave? She says, it was just scaring me too much. I said, you live in Wyoming. <laughs> How many sharks can there possibly be? I'm the one who's living by the water. <laughs> That's awesome. But huh. I, what I loved, what I appreciate about Jaws was that, you know, he had all these problems, but the way he got around them was the building of the tension by just little at a time showing you flashes of what was coming. Yeah. I'm just relocating. Yeah. Keep, yeah. keep talking. Keep talking. Yeah. Although I, I do, I, I am a little miffed with John Williams because I think uh, he should have given credit to Igor Stravinsky for the soundtrack. The music of, of Jaws comes right out of Rite of Spring, the, the Stravinsky ballet. Uh, as soon as I heard it, I was like, this is Stravinsky here. <laughs> Interesting. I'll yeah. have to actually go back because I, admittedly my ignorance is showing i didn't know that and i don't know that that piece of music well it's funny too because i always said if you listen to superman it's almost out of um uh the flying dutchman by wagner and then uh, uh star wars has a lot of list and holst in there it's like i mean obviously the guy's working with what he's got and, and great but but to me the soundtrack to Jaws is almost note for note Stravinsky's Rite of Spring. I'm like, come on. <laughs> well, noted. Now I'm gonna I'm going to explore that, and I'll probably uh, put that that piece of music in the the show notes for other listeners that that don't know that. So what's well, funny cool. too is is um, in fact when you talk about Stravinsky's Rite of Spring is remember when well when I, I remember when Ten came out and the bolero was used in that. Ravel's Bolero, and she says, "Oh, it's great music for sex." I said, "No, it isn't. It's the same, <laughs> like twelve notes over and over and over again." And now, try and keep up with Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, and you're having sex. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, ten is another one. Other than the scene with Bo Derek and Dudley Moore, yeah, with, with Dudley Moore. But are you familiar with it? Have you seen it? What ten? Oh, yeah, yeah. The only scene I really loved was when he goes to see the priest and the old lady serving the tea. Has <laughs> got to be one of the great comic moments of film, where she she almost 
falls over, putting the tray set down and tries to walk into the fireplace. And, and then when she farts, the dog takes off and, <laughs> and the priest goes, yeah, whenever she passes wind, we beat the dog. <laughs> you know, I there was a time in the early mid 90s and I don't maybe maybe it was because the movie Tommy Boy came out, but like Comedy Central played 10 on rotation. Like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah, it, it was just on a heavy rotation on Comedy oh, Central. For, yeah, which it was so random because it was even in the like the mid 90s, it just felt very dated in many ways. Yeah. Uh, you know, like nothing against Ellie Moore and certainly nothing against um, Bo Derek, but it was just I don't know. It was just, it just yeah. seems kind of like like an odd mid afternoon kind of kind of like. Yeah. Well, it was it was not a great story. It's it's like this has been handled much better. I mean, you look at the Tempest with John Cassavetes, mm. talk about your midlife crisis. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, we didn't even mention John Cassavetes at all in, in this. Yeah, I don't that's think. true. He's yeah. But anyway, but but I I I did think that was the funniest two or three minutes of the whole film. Yeah. The rest no, of honestly, it was like, yeah. I'll have to go back and revisit, revisit. Honestly, a lot of these movies, I'm not going to be able to get through um, and put all of them on the show notes. I'll put a handful of the movies that you referenced and a couple that I mentioned. Oh, it's not that I'm recommending 10. (laughs) But yeah, the the one thing that stood out to me, though, was when she has that scene, which, oh, it's great music for sex. I was like, what are you kidding? I'll tell you what I used to use Ravel's Bolero for is if you play chess with somebody, you get a fairly good start. <laughs> you can really set them off their game because that music is so repetitive. Yeah. <laughs> now, all right. I'm going to put the yeah. kind of like the the timestamp on 70s because I feel that we've covered a lot of movies, oh, yeah. none of yeah. which super in depth. But I know you've got something really exciting that you want to talk about, and I want you to talk about oh, it before. Okay. Well, before I forget. So what is new in the world of Mr. Bill, uh, Bill Cushing? Well, of course, I, I just came out with that new poetry book in February, uh, the, that Just a Little Cage of Bone, which I think that I send you the, uh, I might have sent you the the poem I wrote about uh, Humphrey Bogart in there. You did. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, so I'm still in movies there. Uh, that's mostly... And admittedly, as and that's where the title comes from. It's basically I'm 71 years old. I'm looking back at life now. That's sort of the theme of it. If there 71 is 71 years young, sir. 71 well, years young. Yeah, when you're when you're counting down. <laughs> anyway, but I do have yeah a collection of short stories going to drop hopefully mid July. Uh, I'm waiting to hear back from the publisher when that's going to actually happen, but. It has been revised. It's ready to go. So I'm just waiting for the publisher. And that's going to be then the the name of that one is The Commies Come to Waterton. Uh, and it's a series of nine short stories of mine uh, dealing with some of them coming out of my own life. But there's also some fantasy, some sci-fi, you know, some there's one short horror story, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So. So, yeah, I have that book that just came out, then I've got one coming out. So, Now, from a listener perspective, is there anything that you um, that you hope they, uh, that you're that the reader rather I said listeners that the readers get out of it? Well, I, I, 
I don't know if I said this to you before, but I always liked one of the things that uh, with my first book of poems, uh, a guy from my high school bought one and, and he posted, he says, you don't need to be an academic <laughs> to get it. And that's one of the things he, he says, yeah, I, I identify with these things. I understand them. Not that I look, you know, obviously there are some stuff that's mythological and ambiguous and that stuff, but I was called the blue collar poet, I think, for a reason. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I think, yeah, I, I like simplicity and directness of language, and I try and put that into the work as much as possible. Yeah. So, what What are some of the things that inspire you? Um, oh, geez. I hate to be a cop out, but I always like what Philip Levine said. Just look out the window. Uh, well, for example, right now I'm I'm working on a poem about grief and grieving. Of course, having lost a wife is sort of some of my territory. I'm also working on one now that's uh, dealing with uh, uh, when I grew up, there was an old lady down the street that everybody seemed to know. Uh, and I thought, hey, I want to honor her because she was really sort of a staple in the neighborhood. Uh, I am working on, I'm in the final revisions now. I, I think I might have mentioned, I, I did a wrote a memoir about my time in the Navy and then later mm -hmm. on working on ships. So that's finished. Now I just have to cut it down by about half because uh, <laughs> that thing is too long. Uh, <laughs> How long were you in the Navy? Well, I was in for one hitch. Okay. Okay. The, the four years, but then I I spent another ten years working on oil tankers. That's and, right. We we had spoken about that before. Yes. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. I, I didn't go back to school until I was what thirty seven years old. So it took me a little while to get back to it. But yeah. that book is basically focused on those times, and not just at the yards, but also I, I drove cabs, uh, bartended for a while, that sort of stuff. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, what inspires me is, well, I just want to sort of pass along. Look, here's my experience. You know, hopefully, I, I always, when I teach writing, I say, look, there's three reasons we write stories or write anything. It's to connect with other people, to pass along lessons, or to pass along understanding. And obviously, it, it doesn't have to be only one. It can be a combination of them. But usually, there's one underlying thing There's you know, Here's my life. What do you think? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, although the short stories do, I, I kind of infuse some morality stuff in there, uh, you know, uh, more so than I do the poetry. Yeah. Now, Bill, with our with our final uh, few few moments, is there is there anything that we've missed that you want to you want to go over real quick or? Or, or if you want to expand on anything, I mean, you know, time is, you know, completely. But I just want to make sure there wasn't anything that I forgot or overlooked no, unintentionally. No, I, think, I, 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 I know this went long, and I, that was sort of my intent. Uh, but <laughs> to, you know, look at this decade, man. It's an amazing decade in films. Uh, and I don't think we'll ever have another one like it, because like you said, with Blazing Saddles, I've always said it about taking a pillow. You could never do that movie. Today. Right. Mm -hmm. you could never get by anybody. Uh, and it's interesting because in the remake that came out in the 90s. All right. He had the word fucking there a lot, but it's like, yeah, but that doesn't make it daring. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just repetition of the same right. word. Uh, 
Whereas you look at the original, it's tension. It's, you know, what's going to happen? How are they going to pull this off? Whereas in the remake, it was like, okay, you had these big chase scenes and all that stuff. But, you know, come on. Uh, who cares? You know, that that's not the same movie at all. Uh, so I think you're the closest you can come as Tarantino's stuff, mm-hmm. which is the envelope now. Uh, you know, and subject matter wise and how it's presented, taken, yeah. you know, we, we've covered. I don't know if we've even mentioned, but that movie was made for peanuts, like literally no budget oh, yeah, whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. just like John Carpenter was notoriously known for doing low budget films. Well, did Carpenter do that one? I, I don't even realize. Yeah, that. yeah. Taking a Pelham. Yeah, hold on. I'm going to pull that up right now, because at this point now. I'm going to be I'm going to feel horrible if I'm completely wrong, but I'm like 99 taking. Uh, but you look at the cast, you had Martin Balsam in there, Robert Shaw. Uh, almost said Tony Scott. Scott. I'm like, no, it was not a Tony Scott film. No, I think Ridley Scott did the remake in the 90s. Uh, or it might have been Tony. I don't know which one. Uh, Pelham, 1974. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Robert Shaw. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, Joseph Sargent. I don't know why I've been. Yeah, because wanting... okay. yeah, I, I was thinking. Yeah, why, was I, why, why was I thinking? What the hell am I thinking? Oh, I am thinking. Uh, but now I'm just mistaking number movies. Hold on one second. Oh, OK. Um, but yeah, no, no, like taking a Pelham is wonderful. The movie I'm thinking of. Bear with me just just so I can share my own like fun ignorance is. Let me go into my 1970s. Assault on uh, Precinct 13. Um, oh, Assault on Precinct 13. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Assault on Precinct, yeah. So, but, you know, taking a, a, the Pelham, brilliant film. Um, yeah. But, and it's yeah. so New York. Yes. <laughs> so New York. So New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I absolutely loved it. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, that I think is what made the 70s so good. It was daring. Like you say, they lightened up on a lot of the restrictions and these guys went to town and, and they really produced some great stuff. They went to town and they, they took it as far as they could. And then the 80s happened and they took it too far. And, you, you know, that's a conversation when you look at a movie like Twilight Zone, the movie when oh, okay. uh, yeah. Landis basically said, we're going to get around the whole child labor laws because we're a director and we can do whatever because we've been doing whatever for the past 15 years. And, and then they killed kids. That sort of put a damper on everything. You kind of put Uh, a little, a little damper on, on things. It's all fun and games until somebody loses a head. Um, (laughs) But but like Bill, this has been so much fun. Thank oh, you well, very much. For the time, yeah. As always, open invitation. Anytime you just want to chat about movies, you know, we never even have to have direction. If you just want to talk about, like, hey, let's well, talk about 1974, into, or we want to talk gangster movies, whatever it is. Oh yeah, I would love to always, chat with you. Uh, but I was thinking maybe uh, unknown treasures from people. I mean, you, you, for example, you talk about freaking with. You know, French Connection, Exorcist, yep, all that. But he also did uh, Live and Die in L.A., which I love. Uh, yeah, uh, The Bug, which I thought was a tremendous movie. You know, that might be a kind of a fun conversation yeah. to have is the lesser known gems from 
I don't know how I don't know how to phrase it yet, but like lesser known gems from big filmmakers or something. So whether it's a conversation about Duel or we have a conversation about a couple other not whether it's even Quentin Tarantino and you're talking about Reservoir Dogs, like it doesn't have to be their first film, but just lesser known gems could be a a fun conversation. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll chat with each other, but yeah. well, dude, I, I adore you. I, I love so our conversations much. and um, I will share notes with you. And if there's anything that you want to plug, shoot me an email and I'll put in the show. Well, notes. I can, I'll, if you want, I'll send you the links to the books. Please do. Uh, Please yeah, do. You can put those up if anybody's interested or they awesome. can here again, go to my email if they want signed copies sent out. Wonderful. I'm really pleased with that. Just a little cage of bone I thought came out very well. Actually, it's a full collection. Good. Uh, and, well, good. Uh, well, let's like I say it's basically an old man looking back at life. <laughs> you know, <having laughs> keep on churning out good work. And I'm going to keep on having you back as right. long as you want to just keep chatting because, you know, our first conversation was fun, but this one was monumentally more, more fulfilling. <laughs> and uh Yeah. Uh, By the way, open I'll, invitation. I'll, Want to talk I'll movies close, with you I'll all the time? With this one too is I think it was Betty Davis who said that old age isn't for pussies. <laughs> <laughs> that would be Betty Davis. <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen. The ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bill Cushing. Thank you very much. So much. Yep, great to be with you again. Thank you so much to Bill for for joining us. If you are new to the show, definitely check out Bill's works. I will provide links to uh, his Amazon page as well as a little intel on what you can find out on Bill. As always, Bill is just one of my favorite people. So thank you very much for coming back on the show. And for the listeners, if you're still with us, do me a favor. Take a visit at my website as well, stampercinema.com. And please feel free to leave a review, tell your friends, all that wonderful, wonderful stuff. And... And that's really all I've got for you. Hopefully you had a good time listening to this one. I know I had a good time making this one. So that's all I've got. We will see you next time on another episode of Stanford Cinema. Cinema.